Today's episode contains violent and graphic descriptions of sexual acts against adults and minors. Listener discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to the Bizarre and Fascinating Details podcast. Say hi, Darcy. Hey, what's up, guys? This case that we're going to talk about today is Fred and Rosemary West. Oh, boy. I find this case particularly interesting because if you look at the pictures, number one, he is very unattractive. It's not great. And she just looks like somebody's auntie or mom or something. She looks super conservative, super, like, not capable of doing anything bad. But in any case, here is the story of Fred and Rosemary West. Frederick Walter Stephen West, four freaking names. Is that really necessary? No. <laughs> was born September 29th, 1941. This is another British couple. He was the first surviving child born to Walter Stephen West and Daisy Hannah Hill. This was a poor family of farm workers, although the family was close-knit and mutually protective. His father was a disciplinarian and his mother was overprotective. Dun, dun, dun. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, the father is always a disciplinarian, right? And the mother's always overprotective. Absolutely. In 1946, the family moved to Moorcourt Cottage and Moorcourt Farm, where Fred's father worked as a milking herdsman and harvest hand. So, simple farm folk... The cottage had no electricity and was heated by a log fireplace. By 1951, Fred's mother had given birth to eight children. Jeez. I can hardly imagine. That's too many. Uh, Six of those had survived. But Fred was always his mother's favorite, and he was seen as his mother's boy, but relied upon his siblings for companionship. The West children were expected to perform assigned chores and all did seasonal work. The three girls picking hops and strawberries and the boys were made to harvest wheat and hunting and hunted rabbits. They had to work to earn a living and eke out sort of a survival for this family because they were pretty poor. But this also at the same time kind of instilled a strong work ethic in them. And Fred... Although it did instill the work ethic in him, he still developed a lifelong habit of petty theft to make up for the things that he was unable to provide for himself because they were poor. Classmates recall Fred as being scruffy, dim, lethargic, and regularly in trouble. How about that? Scruffy, dim, and lethargic. (laughs) Lethargic. Dim is pretty rough. Throughout his... (laughs) Right? Throughout his life, he remained scarcely literate, yet displayed an aptitude for woodwork and artwork. He left school at the age of 15 and began working as a laborer. He claimed he was introduced to sex by his mother at 12 and to have engaged in acts of bestiality with animals in his early teens. Like their whole family supposedly did that, right? Right. I was just going to say, there's also claims that there was incest going on in the family between father and sisters. Um, but later on, Fred's younger siblings dismissed these claims as fantasy. Hmm. I'm not so sure about that. I think there was probably some less than normal shit going on in this family. Either that or Fred was just fucking mentally ill right from the jump. Well, I, mean, I guess either one is entirely possible. I think, I think there's probably both, right? Because I think that kids that age don't just know about sex. Somebody has to introduce it no. to them. They don't just know that information. Yeah, and the bestiality shit. So I do think it probably happened. Yeah. yeah. And they probably didn't have girls because they were lethargic and dim. So they had to practice with yeah. animals, which is disgusting, Yeah. by the way. Um, in 1957, Fred and his brother, John, frequently socialized at a youth club. <laughs> but his distinct and guttural accent sort of marked him as a country bumpkin. It was then said that he aggressively pestered women and girls whom he objectified as sources of pleasure to be used as he saw fit. And he would usually approach them and fondle them. Can you? That's another thing you learn. Like you learn that from the adult men in your life and how they treat women. Yeah. Um, That's definitely a learned behavior. Absolutely. When a girl actually did say, okay, sure. 
She would find his sexual performance unsatisfying as his primary objective was his own gratification. Yeah, he yeah, because he's been fucking like off. sheep. Right? Shortly after his 17th birthday, Fred bought a motorcycle and two months later suffered a fractured skull, a broken arm, and a broken leg. Okay, so here we go with the head injury, which is Yikes. one of the trifecta for murderers or psychopath murderers or whatever. Um, it was said that he was unconscious for seven days and Holy had to walk shit. with braces. Yeah, so that's a major head injury. That's super bad for you. Um, and then he had to walk with braces for several months afterwards. But because of this incident, he supposedly developed an extreme fear of hospitals and became prone to fits of rage. Hmm. Um, and then he suffered another head injury when a girl he groped in a fire escape outside a youth club punched him, sending him falling down two floors. So two head injuries, not Jeez. one, but two. But you would good think, for her like, for the second punching. one would set him right. <laughs> Right? Maybe. <laughs> Not so much. I don't think um, so. By June 1961, Fred's 13-year-old sister, Kitty, told her mother that Fred had been raping her since the previous December and had impregnated her. Which oh, my is God. absolutely horrifying. Arrested the same month, Fred freely admitted to police he'd been molesting young girls since his early teens and asked, doesn't everyone do it? <gasps> yeah. Ooh. He was tried... And then, although disgusted by her son's action, Daisy, the mother, had been prepared to testify in his defense. Because, you know, he was mama's boy. Yep. Well, and the he learned it at home. To testif- yeah. But the sister refused to testify, and the case was dismissed. Much of Fred's family at that point disowned him, and his mother banished him from the household, and he moved in with his aunt, Violet. But by mid-1962, he had reconciled with his parents, and his re- uh, relationship with his family was still kind of on the edge, but they were like, hey, it's Fred. You know, go figure. Classic Fred. Fred was... F- right. Fred was first married to Rena Costello. He became acquainted with Catherine Rena Bernadette Costello in 1962 when he was about 21. He first met her at a dance hall and dated her for several months before she returned to Scotland. She was pregnant by a Pakistani bus driver at the time of her marriage to Fred, and she may have relocated from Glasgow to England due to the stigma of her baby's mixed ancestry. She then married Fred, who was like, hey, sure, you're pregnant with somebody else's baby? Cool, let's do Why this. Why not? The sole guest being Fred's younger brother, John, during his little marriage there. The couple initially lived in Fred's aunt's home, and then they moved to another place in Coatbridge where Fred worked as an ice cream van driver. That's scary. Dude, I remember, this is just a sidebar, I remember when I first moved to San Diego, I was so tripped out because I saw, like, where I grew up, the ice cream truck was like a, like a, um, like a post office truck or whatever, but when I moved out there, it was like a van that, like, it definitely looked like a child molester van that had, like, ice cream stickers and had, like, the like tune or whatever and I was like what the fuck I would never let a kid walk up to that thing yeah no way so Rena his first wife had a daughter Charmaine who was born in 1963 and to explain the child's mixed ancestry they claimed that she had suffered a miscarriage and that this baby was adopted hmm so this is our adopted baby because our first baby died scary I don't think that's a thing you do in 19... 19- yeah. In 1964, she bore Fred a daughter, Anna Marie. The child was born in their home, and the family nanny, Issa McNeil, and neighbors of the West recall Rena as a considerate mother struggling to bring up two children. Fred treated her like shit, obviously. Of course. And then he kept the girls in the bottom of a bunk bed with bars fitted to the space between the bunks, effectively caging them. They were allowed out only when he was at work. So basically he was like, I don't want to see them or hear them. They got to stay in this cage when I'm at home and they're only allowed to be out when I'm gone. Which is horrifying. Fred later admitted to being engaged in numerous affairs in the early years of his marriage. Uh, duh. And that he had fathered at least one illegitimate child with a woman from Gore Balls. When Rena discovered her husband was a cheating fuck... She began an affair with another dude named John McLaughlin. On one occasion, Fred discovered the pair in an embrace. He punched her, Rena, making her scream. In response, McLaughlin punched Fred, who drew a knife and grazed McLaughlin's stomach. Jesus Christ. 
When punched by McLaughlin a second time, Fred stopped defending himself. Years later, McLaughlin recollected the incident. He couldn't tackle a man, but he wasn't so slow in attacking women. So clearly Fred was like cool with beating the shit out of women. But like when it came to someone who was his own size, he was like, oh, no, no, I'm good. He was a bitch. So meanwhile, McLaughlin continued this affair with Rena and became increasingly upset when he started to see that Rena was like being abused because she had bruises and black eyes and he was clearly being the shit out of her as soon as she got home. And he also noticed that Fred was abusing the toddler Charmaine. So when she asked Fred for some ice cream from the van, he struck her across the head, triggering another beating. It's just genius. Clearly this dude was like a hot fucking mess of abuse and violence. In November 1965, Fred accidentally ran over and killed a small boy in his van. Um, First of all, I don't think this was accidental. Yeah. However, Fred was cleared of wrongdoing by the police, but he feared hostile reaction, potential reprisals from um, from, for the accident from locals. So he ended up moving and renting a caravan in the Timberland Caravan Park in Bishop's Cleave. Hmm. Rena joined him in February 1966, so initially he moved out there alone, but then his wife joined him a little bit later. He moved in 65, and she didn't join him until the early part of 66. Okay. She was then accompanied by Issa McNeil and Anne McFall, who they all three moved into Fred's caravan. Hmm, interesting. Hmm. So the two other women had hoped to find work in England, but shortly after the move south, Fred found employment driving a lorry for a local avatar, which is like killing animals and skinning them and cutting the meat up almost like a butcher, but like a whole deal. By early 1966, Freda began to exhibit dominance and control over all three women. Uh, duh. He was prone to violent mood swings and Rena and McNeil typically bore the brunt of his fury. He also attacked his stepdaughter and was reported to be, have begun sexually abusing Charmaine. Of course. And to have encouraged Rena to turn to prostitution to supplement their meager income. So then Rena gets out. She's like, he's really sadistic. He's abusing the shit out of me. I need to get out of here. I got to leave. So she takes off. So evidently she left her daughters there, both Char- Charmaine and Anna Marie, who continued to live with Fred at Bishop's Cleave. Like, so she just bounced. Who the fuck does that? Yeah. Hmm. So she left and he was like, don't ever come back here or I'll fucking kill you. Jesus. But she leaves her daughters there. So on November, excuse me, on October 11th, in an act of resentment, Rena stole some belongings from Fred's caravan and returned to Glasgow. She was arrested the following month and returned to Gloucester to face trial. On November 29th, she was sentenced to three years probation. Fred testified at the hearing, admitting he and McFall were living together, but falsely claiming McFall intended to return to Scotland imminently. After the trial, McFall moved into the caravan and Rena alternated between living with Fred and returning to Glasgow. So she was like, okay, I'll come back, which is sick and fucking twisted. Right. So at the same time, he's sort of having a relationship with McFall so that she can get herself this better life. Although I don't see what kind of a fucking better life it would be to be with I, Fred. I can't imagine what you're moot, like upgrading from if that's a better life. I don't know, but Anne McFall tried to persuade Fred to divorce his wife so that he could marry her. She's like, don't mm. be with that woman. Come, come take me out of this fucking, put me in this fairy tale life. Although, however, by July 1967, McFall, aged 18, was then eight months pregnant with Fred's kid. Uh, yeah, that's going to happen when you're living with this sick, sexually deviant monster. Right. And she just vanished. Huh, weird. She was never reported missing, but her dismembered remains were found buried at the edge of a cornfield between Much, Much Marcel and Kempfley in 1994. Hmm. So she wasn't found until like freaking 30 years later almost. Wow. Her limbs have been carefully dis- disarticulated and many... Bones were missing from her body, likely to have been retained as keepsakes. Her unborn child may also have been cut out of the womb. Fred initially denied he'd killed McFall, but confided to one visitor following his arrest that he'd stabbed her to death following an argument. That seems like the most likely thing. Right. Well, and he worked, like, as a butcher, so he knew how to dismember and disarticulate joints. Yeah, I don't know, but it says this... No, he was a lorry driver for the abattoir. He wasn't an abattoir. Um, But anyway, 
This explanation is inconsistent with the fact that her wrists were found with sections of dressing gown cord wrapped around them, suggesting she had been restrained prior to her murder. So he had some sick shit going on with her. Who the fuck knows what actually happened, but I think we're all pretty much clear on the fact that he killed this other woman. Absolutely. So I, not counting the kid that he ran over, it seems as though this was his first murder. Right. So then the following month, Rena's like, hey, the coast is clear. This bitch Anne McFall is gone, so I'm going to go back to Fred, which is insane to me. Here's the thing. This guy has women, like, trying to be with him, and I'm going to die alone. (laughs) I don't understand this whatsoever. He is hideous, abusive, and poor, (laughs) and lethargic, and dim. (laughs) And And dim. And women women are fighting to be with him. So... And Rena returns. She's like, hey, I'm good. Let's do this. And they relocate to a lake house caravan park. And their relationship initially improved. But then she left again, leaving the children in his care. This is fucking scary. Because on occasions when Fred had no women to supervise and care for the girls, he temporarily placed them in the care of social services. But I'm pretty sure he was probably sexually abusing and molesting those two young girls the entire Absolutely. Time, from every indication that has shown up later. But Absolutely. this is when our delightful heroine, Rosemary, shows up. She first encountered Fred in early 1969, shortly after her 15th birthday. So Jeez. he likes him nice and young. They first met um, at a bus station, and initially Rose was repulsed by his unkempt appearance. <laughs> Just funny. I mean... So, Unkempt is what it says. I love that right. word. But evidently she thought he was a tramp, which means a hobo or a bum or whatever. And right. she, but she became flattered by the attention Fred continued to lavish on her over the following days as he sat alongside her at the same bus stop. So, so he, he just like sat beside her, her down. and she's like, I he love sat you. beside her, gave her all those fucking flowery words. And she was like, Hey, you look like a hobo, but I'm okay with it. <laughs> Jeez. So he kept asking her out, and she was like, no, 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 I'm not going to go out with you. But she allowed him to accompany her home. Mm. So in their initial conversations, Fred quickly discovered that although Rose had never had a boyfriend, she was overtly promiscuous. So she was kind of slutty. He was like, hey, let me get some of that. Um, He also extracted a degree of sympathy from her by claiming he and his two daughters had been abandoned by his wife. And that he had wished for more children. Aww. So he's like playing all these fucking cards at once. How sad he's for like, you. He's like, hey, you seem a little promiscuous. Let me get in there. And then at the same time, he's like, hey, I'm a poor, neglected husband with children. My wife left. Having discovered Rose worked at a nearby bread shop, a few days after the first encounter, Fred persuaded an unknown woman to enter the premises and present her with a gift accompanied by the explanation that a man outside had asked to present her this gift. Yikes. Sounds so flattering. Uh-huh. Minutes later, Fred entered the premise and asked Rose to accompany him on a date, and she accepted. He wore her down. After that, she began the relationship with Fred and was a frequent visitor at his home and also watched his two daughters, Charmaine and Anna Marie, whom she noted were neglected, and she initially said she treated them with care and affection. Initially. Yeah. Keyword. Within weeks of their first meeting, Rose left her job at the bread shop in order to become a nanny to the two girls, which I don't see how the fuck they could afford to do right. that. Right. paying for their, like, food and electricity and all that kind of shit. But they did this with the agreement that Fred would provide her with sufficient money to give to her parents on Fridays to convince them she was still, you know, having a legitimate job at the bread shop. Several months later, Fred introduced, or excuse me, Rose introduced Fred to her family and they were aghast at her choice of partners. Jesus. Rose's <laughs> mother was unimpressed with Fred's... Brig- <laughs> How do you say this? Braggadocio? Yeah, braggadocio. Why did they use this fucking word? But initially the mom was like, yeah, he's way like... He's a bragger and a pathological liar. Her father... Bill Letts was a diagnosed schizophrenic who was believed to have molested his daughter, and he vehemently disapproved of the relationship, threatening Fred directly and promising to call social services if he continued to date his daughter. So basically, it's my understanding that there have been many, many, many claims that Rose's father had been sexually molesting, raping, whatever the case may be, his daughter for many, many, many years. I'd heard that too. Right. So thus the reason that I think Rose became somewhat promiscuous as tends to be a side effect in some instances when girls are sexually abused starting at a very young age. Mm -hmm. 
So this happened with Rose. And so obviously there's going to be some headbutting of sexual tension when you've got this disgusting incest type of a situation that's perpetuated by the father. And then you've got friggin' Fred over here, who's also into the whole incest type of a situation. And the two are like, Hey, we both want Rose. Only one of us can have her, which is not necessarily true. Cause just wait, there's more. And it's, it definitely doesn't seem like it was a paternal disapproval. It definitely seems like it was a jealousy yes, but disapproval. Rose's parents absolutely forbade her from continuing to date Fred. But she was like, fuck that. I'm going to do what I want because I'm a fucking grown-ass 15-year-old woman. <laughs> and I'm going to date this older dude. Um, then they heard rumors she had began to engage in prostitution in his caravan, which is not surprising since he'd also encouraged his first wife to be a, a sex worker in order to help support their right. lifestyle. In response, Rose was then placed in a home for troubled teenagers in 1969 and only allowed to leave under controlled conditions. So they tried to help her. They really did. So when she was allowed to return home to visit her parents on the weekends, she almost invariably took the opportunity to visit Fred. She was like, I really have to have this man. On her 16th birthday, Rose left the home for troubled teenagers to return to her parents. Fred at the time was serving a 30-day sentence in jail for theft and unpaid fines. But upon his release, Rose left her parents' home to move in with Fred. Dun, dun, dun. Of course. Shortly thereafter, Fred collected Charmaine and Anne-Marie from social services. And Rose's dad makes one final effort to prevent his daughter from seeing Fred. And then she's pregnant. So she's not going to get away because Rose is now pregnant with Fred's baby. Yeah. She was then examined at a police, by a police surgeon in February 1970 because I believe that would still be considered rape because she was a minor. Yeah. So she was placed into care but was discharged March 6th on the understanding she would terminate her pregnancy and return to her family. Instead, she was like, peace out. I'm going to go live with Fred. And then the dad was like, fuck this. You're not allowed to ever set foot in this house again. I'm done with you. Three months later, the couple vacated their flat and relocated to the ground floor of a two-story house in... Gloucester? Gloucester. <laughs> Gloucester. Fuck. I don't know how to pronounce that. I keep screwing it up. Um, so in 1970, Rose gave birth to their first child, who was a daughter. They named her Heather. Two months later, Fred was in prison for the, ca- the theft of car tires and a vehicle tax disc. He remained in prison until 1971. As he served his six and a half month sentence, Rose just having turned 17, looked after the three girls. Jesus she was Christ. Practically a, like a freaking kid herself. And then all of the girls begin to refer to Rose as their mother. According to the younger children, they were frequently subjected to criticism, beatings, and other forms of punishment while they lived under Rose's care. So Rose was not, like, treating them, like, with any picnic type of aspiration. Well, it's not like she's equipped to be a mom. Beating the shit out of them. No, she's not. She's very young, and she wasn't exactly treated well when she was growing up either, so she had no concept of what it meant. Right. But evidently... The girls were very, very severely beaten and physically punished and neglected and abused and all that kind of stuff, which is really sad because there's a certain point in here where they say that Charmaine had her spirit broken and she wistfully Uh. said to one of the other girls that she wished her mummy would come and save me. And my real mummy would never swear or shout at us. That's so sad. And then some of the girlfriends and childhood friends of Charmaine said that they recollected later when they entered the flat unannounced, they could see Charmaine naked and standing upon a chair, gagged with her hands bound behind her back with a belt as Rose stood alongside the child with a large wooden spoon in her hand. Oh, my God. So she was beating the shit out of Charmaine. But according to the the girlfriend, Charmaine had been calm and unconcerned while Anne-Marie had been standing by the door with a blank expression on her face. So these kids had been basically conditioned to show no reaction. They're just used Which to is this. Absolutely fucking horrifying. I think you can probably guess what's going to happen next. Rose is believed to have killed Charmaine, the daughter, shortly before Fred's prison release date in 1971. Mm. It's really sad, but she's known. It's shown that she took Charmaine, Anne Marie, and Heather to visit Fred on the 15th of June, and it is believed to have been very shortly after this that she was murdered. Um, so forensic odontology confirmed that Charmaine had died while Fred was incarcerated. Further testimony from some of her childhood friends corroborated the fact that Charmaine had been murdered before Fred had been released. 
But then Rose said, oh, she's gone to live with her mother. Good riddance. So Rose claimed, hey, she's, she just took off. So it's not my fucking problem. Get lost. Yeah. And then she explained Charmaine's disappearance to everyone else by saying the same thing. Or that the mother had come and taken her oldest daughter to live with her, and I'm not going to worry about her anymore. Mm. And then she was also a, a child of mixed race. So mm-hmm. I think there was a certain degree of dis, uh, dislike and hate directed towards her as well, because mm-hmm. at that time period, that was really, really controversial. Charmaine's body was initially stowed in the coal cellar until Fred was released from prison in the bottom of their house. He later buried her naked body in the yard close to the back door of the flat and remained adamant that he had not dismembered his victim. So Rose Marie killed this little girl and Fred buried her and was like, fuck it. Like, I'm not, I don't care that you did this. Like wow. his own freaking. And, and thing was, it's not his, his blood daughter. Right. Right. Yeah. But he raised her as his daughter. Right. I mean, what, whatever definition of that you want to use. No, he, ob- he obviously had no feeling towards this girl right. and treated her like she was dirt. And I'd always been under the impression that he had killed her. I didn't realize that Rose had been the one that killed her. No. And the thing is, I don't... Uh, the evidence shows that she died while Fred was in prison. So Rose Marie had right. to have killed her. But Rose, I believe, never confessed to that and never admitted that she had done that. Right. But anyway... An autopsy suggested the body had been severed at the t- at the hip. The damage had, may have been caused by building work Fred conducted on the property. Several bones that of uh, the finger, wrist, toe, and ankle bones were missing from her skeleton, leading to speculation the missing parts had been removed as keepsakes, because this seems to be something mm-hmm. that Fred is into, like keeping some of the, the weird freaking bones. Next is Rena. She maintained sporadic contact with her children, on each occasion that she and Fred had separated. She was also known to have visited the cottage to inquire as to her children's whereabouts and welfare in 1971. Fred's sister-in-law later recollected Rena was depressed and extremely anxious about her children's welfare, as she fucking should be, number one. Like, why would you leave your kids with Fred? He's psychotic. Then Rena sought to confront Fred and demand custody back of her daughters, and this was the final time she was seen alive. She is believed to have been murdered by strangulation, possibly in the backseat of Fred's car while Mm. intoxicated. This was in 1971. Her body was discovered a short time later with metal tubing found with her remains, leaving an equal possibility she'd been restrained and subjected to sexual assault prior to her murder. Oh, my God. Her body was also dismembered, placed into plastic bags, and buried close to a cluster of trees. Oh, my God. So, in 1972, Fred and Rosemary got married. Yay, wedding bells for the two psychotic Mm, individuals. Right. So, Fred described himself as a bachelor upon getting married. Is that right? Yeah, because he knew that he fucking killed his wife, and she was not there. Several months later, with Rose pregnant with her second child, the couple moved to Midland Road. And then they had this bigger house, and they had various people renting rooms out from them. To maintain privacy for his family, Fred installed a cooker and a wash basin on the first floor landing in order that lodgers would not need to enter the ground floor where the West family lived so that he and his family were the only ones permitted access to the garden on the property. On June 1st, Rose gave birth to the second daughter. They named her June, May June. This part is super sketchy, but shortly after giving birth to her second child, Rose started working at, and it says as a prostitute, but she started working as a sex worker. Mm-hmm. She started doing that from an upstairs room at their residence and advertising her services in a local contact magazine. Yikes. Fred encouraged Rose to seek clients out in certain communities. And in addition to this, Rose engaged in casual sex with both male and female lodgers in their household and individuals Fred encountered via his work. She also bragged to several people that no man or woman could completely satisfy her. Why would you brag about that? That's not like a notch in your belt. Like, hey. When she was engaging in sexual relationships with women, Rose would gradually increase the level of brutality to which she subjected her partner with acts such as partially suffocating her partner, inserting large dildos... And if they resisted or expressed pain or fear, she would great, this would greatly excite her, and she would typically ask, aren't you woman enough to take Whoa. it? So clearly, you know, from what happened to her daughters, 
who were like, you know, the blank looks, the stares, no emotion when she was beating the shit out of them. When they got pain, when they expressed pain or fear, she got off on that. So they wow. learned to not express pain or fear. But gradually, Rose and her husband started doing threesomes and other wild and crazy shit, always expanding beyond their sexual limits, having bondage sessions and all kinds of other crazy shit with strong measures of dominance, pain, and violence. To cater to these fetishes, they amassed a large collection of bondage and restraining devices, magazines, and photographs, later expanded collection to include videos with child... Videos depicting bestiality and graphic child sexual abuse. So clearly they're into a whole range of disgusting, crazy shit. And the kids, meanwhile, are, like, just chilling nearby, watching and listening to most of this shit. Yeah. Although she did have this secret room, or not so secret, I guess, but they had this specific room, which was Rose's room, which had several hidden peoples, which allowed Fred, who was a longtime voyeur, to watch her entertaining her clients. He also installed a baby monitor in the room, allowing him to listen anywhere in the house. Yeah. The room included a private bar and a red light outside the door warned them when Rose was not to be disturbed. Ugh. That's messed up. So they had a separate little doorbell so they could ring, and then Rose would go down and entertain them with her sex work, and the prostitution was spent on home improvements. So by 1977, Rose's father had began to tolerate his daughter's marriage and began to develop a grudging respect for Fred. Like, hey, Fred, you're the man. Ew. <laughs> Together, Fred and Rose's father opened up a cafe they named the Green Lantern, which was quickly put out of business because they had no idea what the fuck they were doing. You mean they're Uh, not good businessmen? I did not see that coming. So when Rose's dad discovers her prostitution, he was also said to have visited his daughter to have sex with her and get, get in on that action. It's so awful. Right. By 1983, she had given birth to eight children, at least three of whom were conceived by clients. Fred willingly accepted these children as his own and informed them the reason their skin was darker than any of their siblings was because their great-grandmother was black. What the actual fuck, right? (laughs) Around the house, the kids were, like, basically given hardcore chores to do and were not really allowed to socialize or go outside the house unless the parents were both present because the parents were like, shit, we don't want our kids telling all of our secrets. Right. But, however, between 72 and 92, the West children were admitted to the accident and emergency department of local hospitals 31 times. Jeez. Every single time, the injuries were explained as accidents and never reported to social services. This is some fucked up shit. And granted, that was that time period where kids were, like, supposed to be, like, just Mm -hmm. background pictures on the wall or whatever. But, like, how the fuck does no one say anything or know or accuse these guys of some bad shit going on? I know, like, now they have mandatory reporting or whatever if you have kids coming into the to the ER a lot. And specifically, they, they look for certain types of injuries. Uh, what's really funny is I have a friend who they have a million kids, but their oldest one... Um, he was always, he was forever injured. And I was forever injured as a kid too. But one time I think he broke his arm and they actually called like DHS into the hospital to talk to him because he had been in the ER so many times with like injuries. It was nothing. Like he just, he genuinely was just accident prone, but they did call cause he had gone in there so many times. So they, at least they do that now, but they must not have then. So Rose also occasionally like abused and got violent with Fred. So he wasn't the only one perpetuating the violence. Rose was like her own demon right. temper in addition. But um, some sexual assault stuff started going on as well, obviously, because incest was a big thing for these guys. But in September 1972, the West's eight-year-old daughter, Anne-Marie, was ordered to undress, was taken to the cellar, and Rose tore her dress from her body, noting the child's hesitation. She was then stripped naked, bound to a mattress, and gagged before Fred raped her. Oh, my God. With Rose's active encouragement. So Rose was like, hell yeah, do that shit. She was like, this is what you have to go through. This is what every kid does. Right, and I'm pretty sure that she dealt with that. So she thought it was, like, normal, I'm sure. Right. After the rape, Rose explained to the child, everybody does it to every girl. It's a father's job. Don't worry and don't say anything to anybody. Making clear these sexual assaults would continue. Fred and Rose then threatened the child with severe beatings if they ever received word she'd divulged sexual abuse by their hands. And here's the thing. They know it's not normal because they're saying don't tell anybody. 
Rose occasionally sexually abused the girl herself and later took extreme gratification in degrading her with acts like binding her to various items of furniture before encouraging Fred to rape her and forcing her to perform household chores while wearing sexual devices and a miniskirt. From the age of 13, Fred and Rose forced Anne-Marie to prostitute herself within the household. With clients being formed, Anne-Marie was 16. Rose was always present in the room when these acts occurred to ensure the girl did not reveal her true age. And on one occasion, Anne-Marie was 13 or 14. Rose took her to her local pub, insisting she drink several glasses of wine. Several hours later, Fred arrived at the pub to collect Rose and Anne-Marie. Once they left the premise, Anne-Marie was bundled into her father's van and beaten by Rose, who asked her, Did you think you could be my friend? Before she was sexually abused by her father and stepmother. Um, then there was Caroline Owens. In October 1972, the West hired a nanny, Carolyn Owens. She was 17 when they hired her. They picked her up in a secluded area on a country road as she hitchhiked from her home, having visited her boyfriend. They learned she was looking for a job, and they offered her part-time employment as a nanny to the three children in the household at the time, with the promise she'd be driven home each Tuesday. Several days later, she moved into their home, sharing a room with Anne-Marie, whom Owens noted as very withdrawn. Rose began to engage in sex work at this time, explaining to Owens she worked as a masseuse when the younger woman inquired about the steady stream of men visiting her. So I'm not a sex worker. I'm a masseuse. Hmm. Um, According to Owens, Fred also said he was a skilled abortionist and was available if she ever needed the service. Nope. So the nanny noted Fred talked about sex almost incessantly and had sexual overtones anytime anytime he talked to her and boasted that many of the women he claimed to have performed abortions on were so overjoyed that they would offer him their sexual services as a reward. Also, no. Gross. When Owens herself became the recipient of the West's overt sexual advances, she was like, peace out, I am leaving. Knowing her habit of hitchhiking, the West formulated a plan to abduct her for their shared gratification because she was like, hell no, I'm not involved. I don't want to get involved with you two. Fred later admitted that a specific, the specific intent of his abduction was to rape and likely murder her, this poor young nanny, but his initial incentive was to determine whether his wife would be willing to at least assist him in the abduction. So in, by the end of 1972, the couple lured Owens into their vehicle with an apology for their conduct and an offer of a lift home. Initially, this young woman believed the West were sincere in their apologies, and she was simply mistaken in their early intentions. Rose joined her in the backseat with the explanation that she wanted a girl's chat as Fred, as Fred drove them home. Shortly thereafter, Rose began to fondle her as Fred questioned whether she had sex with her boyfriend that evening. Ew. So meanwhile, this poor young girl was like, hell no, I'm not doing this. But Fred stops the car and refers to Owen as a bitch and punches her into unconsciousness, unconsciousness before he and Rose bound and gagged her with a scarf and duct tape. Mm. In, in her subsequent statement to police, she stated that she was given a drug cup of tea to drink and then again gagged and subjected to prolonged sexual assault from Fred and Rose. When this young girl began screaming because Fred was beating her private areas, Rose again smothered her with a pillow and further restrained her about the neck, performing oral mm, sex on her. Jesus. Gross. Quickly realizing the gravity of her situation, Owens, like, and realizing as well that they get off on her, like, protesting and and struggling, she starts, stops resisting their sexual assaults. The following morning, having noted her screaming, one of the children knocked on the door of the room, which she was restrained, and Fred threatened that he and his wife would keep her locked in the cellar and allow his black friends to abuse her, and that they had, when they had finished, he would bury her body beneath the paving stones. Fred then claimed he had killed hundreds of young girls, adding that Owens had primarily been brought to the house for Rose's pleasure. He and Rose then calmly asked Owens whether she would consider returning to work as their nanny. I mean... So we just fucking raped you for 24 hours straight, and now would you want to be our nanny? Yeah, how do you feel about coming back to work for us? Adversely. My God, right? Seeing her escape avenue, Owens agreed and vacuumed the house to indicate her belief in becoming an extended member of the family. Oh my God, how horrifying was that, probably? Later that day, Owens escaped from a laundrette she and Rose had entered and returned home. Although initially too ashamed to divulge to her mother what had happened, when her mother noted the welts, bruises, and exposed damage they'd done to her, she burst into tears and confided what had happened. And then her mother immediately reported her daughter's ordeal to the police, and the Wests were then arrested and charged with assault, indecent assault, actual body harm, bodily harm, and rape. 
The case was then tried in 1973, but by the state, Owens had decided she didn't want to face trial. So she was like, wow. okay, I can't do this. This is too much. All charges pertaining to her sexual assault were then dropped, oh and gosh. the West agreed to plead guilty to the reduced charges of indecent assault and causing actual body harm, bodily harm, which was then, they were given a fine and, and allowed to walk free. So when Owens heard about this, she attempted suicide, which I would as yeah. well. It's just horrific. She suffered this horrific experience, and they basically just got a $50 fine yeah. for their part in it. And then they get into the murder again. So they've already, at this point, killed two people, possibly more, but two confirmed. And three months after the West assault trial, the couple committed their first known murder together. The victim was a 19-year-old named Linda with whom Fred and Rose became acquainted through a male lodger in early 1973. She regularly visited their home to engage in affairs with two of the male lodgers. But in April, she moved into their home on Cromwell Street. On or about April 20th, other tenants were told she'd been told to leave the household after she had hit one of their children. The story was repeated to this young girl's mother when she um, started to inquire about the whereabouts of her daughter because she noticed Rose was wearing Linda's clothing. When she came to the house. I mean. When this young girl's dismembered body was found, the jaw was completely wrapped in adhesive and surgical tape to silence her screams. And two small tubes had been inserted into her nasal cavities to allow breathing. So they basically suffocated her. Yeah. Long sections of string and sections of knotted fabric were also discovered with her remains. She'd likely been suspended from holes carved into wooden beams supporting the ceiling of the cellar. Fred later admitted he had devised this for the purpose of suspending his victim's bodies and likely she likely died of strangulation and suffocation. Her dismembered body was found missing five cervical vertebrae and a bunch of other bones. Again, he was like keeping that shit for a trophy. Yep. From later investigation, police and forensic experts concluded all victims found in the cellar had been murdered at this location. And they found others besides just this other this one young girl five victims in total were murdered and buried in the cellar the first of these three victims 15 year old carol ann cooper was abducted in 1973 cooper was abducted after spending an evening at the cinema with her boyfriend she'd been waiting at a bus waiting for a bus when she vanished and was likely dragged into fred's car her face was also bound with surgical tape and arms were bound with braiding cloth as she was driven away she was also suspended from the wooden beams of the cellar ceiling while she was abused and then murdered. Mm. She also died from strangulation and asphyxiation before her body was dismembered and buried in a shallow grave in the cellar. So all of the abuse to these bodies was discovered when they dug the graves up, and it was totally confirmed that all of these women suffered huge abuse and torture before they were murdered. Mm. Then 18-year-old Juanita Mott was killed in 1975. After that, Fred concreted over the floor of the entire cellar. He later converted this section of the household into a bedroom for his oldest children. God, that's so fucked up. Isn't that crazy? So he kills all these women, tortures them, buries them in the basement, puts concrete over it, and is like, hey, kids, you go ahead and sleep in here. This is your new bedroom. So at that point, they took a little bit of a break, and they didn't commit any further murders until 1978 when Fred either with or without Rose's participation, but certainly with her knowledge, murdered an 18-year-old lodger named Shirley Robinson. Robinson had been living with the West um, and started living with them in April 77, was heavily pregnant at the time of the murder. Although Rose, herself pregnant at that time, initially boasted to the neighbors that the child Robinson was carrying was her husband. Ew. She soon developed a deep resentment of Robinson, and the motive for her murder is likely to have been the removal of this threat to the stability of the West relationship. Her body so she was, got jealous. Yeah. Her body was buried in the garden at their house, extensively dismembered, but no restraining devices were found with the remains, making a sexual motive for the murder unlikely. So Rose probably did this one. Yeah. The unborn baby had been removed and was missing several bones. Surprise, surprise. Mm. Rose then unsuccessfully submitted a claim for maternity benefit in Shirley's name with social services. This oh is my just God. Shadier and shadier as time goes just, by. She keeps just getting worse. So, and then when people asked where the Robinson was, they said, oh, she relocated to live with her father in Germany. Then why would the she need mur- the, the checks? Because she's supposed to be I having the baby, taking care of the baby? I don't know. 
The final murder Fred and Rosemary are known to have committed was a sexually motivated one and occurred about August 1979. The victim was 16-year-old Allison Chambers, who had run away from a local children's home to become the West Living Nanny in the middle of 1979. She is believed to have lived in their household for a few weeks before she was murdered. Rose promised her she would live at a rural, peaceful farm, and she claimed that she and Fred owned this wonderful place for her to come hang out. But this poor girl was also buried in the garden, mm. close to the bedroom wall, or excuse me, close to the bathroom wall, and was likely also dismembered. Her skeleton was not marked by striations as the earlier victims' bodies had been. Hmm. Fred and Rose posted letters from this young gal to her mother prior to her murder from a post office box near so they could try to show that she was still alive. So there was quite a bit of abuse going on for the children that were born into this family and they were severely beaten, sexually abused, all kinds of crazy shit. Fred was overt and unapologetic about his conduct. He would justify his actions with a simple explanation as I made you, I can do what I like with you. Wow. He further referred to his intentions to impregnate both his daughters on at least one occasion and would occasionally force all of his children to watch pornography with oh him. Oh, my God. They would, that's fucking disgusting. So because they were so afraid of their father, the girls developed a routine where they would only shower or dress when their father was either out of the house or when one of the sisters stood guard at the door. Stephen was also informed by his father that he would have to have sex with his mother by the age of 17. So they're like, hey, everybody needs to participate in this shit. The girls were absolutely repulsed by their father's behavior and developed mechanisms where they would tolerate his sexual fondling, but then brush aside efforts to molest them further. Ooh, That's just, oh, God. It's just also awful. And in the meantime, these children are displaying pretty classic symptoms of distress because they're being abused. They were, like, biting their nails sure. until they bled. They were drinking. They were warily watching their parents. They were nervous whenever they were in the presence of males. Their sleep was awful. And they would bounce back and forth when they sat in the chair. They were clearly, like, exhibiting signs that they were fucking scared. But no one was... Right listening to them or believing there was anything wrong. Heather did complain to her friends about the abuse and that she and her siblings were suffered and was showing them these external psychological signs of distress. And so she went to school and told them all about it. She also refused to obey orders to change her clothing for a shower or after sporting activities because she was scared. Mm -hmm. On one occasion, she was forced to take a shower, resulting in her peers and staff noting her arms, legs, and torso were covered with welts and bruises in various stages of healing. She's also trying to hide that shit. Right. She attempted to excuse those injuries by having said she got into fights with her siblings, and confide, but she did confide in her close friends that she had gotten these from her parents. By the mid-1980s, rumors of Rose's sex life had reached several children of the children's classmates, and although the West children had been instructed to not say a fucking word, Heather confided to her friends that many of these rumors were true. The father of one of her classmates was also a friend of the West and probably a client of Rose and her sex work, but he went back and told Fred and Rose that Heather was telling all the, the secrets. Oh, no. Including details of her mother's promiscuity to her classmates. Fred was so concerned by these revelations that he began to escort Heather to and from school. But then Heather left school in 86 and applied for numerous jobs in an effort to leave her fucking parents. Yeah. And she was like, I need to get out of here. She was doing everything she could to try to get the fuck out. So Heather was seriously distressed and she was crying and supposedly at a certain point... The kids left the house to go to school, but when they returned home, they were informed Heather had left to accept a job she'd previously refused. Mm. Although Rose told an inquiring neighbor she and Heather had had a hell of a row and that Rose, and excuse me, and that Heather had run away from home. To answer their questions about why Heather failed to contact them or visit her siblings, the parents claimed that Heather had eloped with a lesbian lover. When, Fred, when May and Stephen, the children, suggested they report Heather's disappearance to the police, Fred changed his story again, saying it would be unwise to initiate a search for Heather as she was involved in credit card fraud. 
So, in the years following Heather's disappearance, Fred occasionally threatened the children that they would end up under the patio like Heather if they misbehaved or divulged information to anyone outside of the household about what was actually going on there. Jesus Christ. With Rose's approval, he later constructed a barbecue pit immediately opposite where Heather had been buried and placed a, a pine table on her grave for the children and family to sit upon whenever the West family had a, a gathering. Ew, that's so gross. So, they just kept changing the story about her disappearance. Right. And telling kids, hey, you be careful or you're going to end up like her. So finally, in May of 1992, Fred asked his 13-year-old daughter to bring some bottles to her room on the first floor of their house. Rose wasn't present at the time. Shortly after, the girl's siblings heard her scream, no, don't. Later, Fred returned upstairs. The girl was found by her siblings, writhing in pain, sobbing that her father had raped and sodomized her, and at one stage, partially strangling her. When Rose returned home, the girl confided in her mother she'd been raped by Fred, and Rose replied, oh, well, you were asking for it. Ugh. So over the following weeks, she was raped on further occasions, and basically her mom was like, well, what did you expect? Fred also filmed one of these, at least one of the rapes. And luckily, the girl had enough courage to confide in a close friend that her father had done this to her. And in response, the girl's mother anonymously informed the police. Thank fucking God. God and thank God August, somebody's doing something about this. Right? On August 6, 1992, the police... This is 1992. Jesus so they've been Christ. doing this for, like, freaking 20 years. August 6, 1992, the police searched the West household because they were searching for stolen property, so to speak. So they didn't want to, like, trigger them or set them off or have them, like, run and go try to hide shit. So they said, oh, we're going to look for some stolen property. But although numerous objects of sexual paraphernalia, including 99 pornographic videos of both homemade and commercial use, were discovered, police did not find the video depicting the rape of Fred's daughter. Hmm. The 13-year-old made a full statement, though, through a specially trained solicitor describing her father's actions and the fact that sexual abuse began when she was 11. Mm. And that her mother had been casually indifferent to her plight. At that point, all the kids in the household were placed in foster care and medical examinations revealed evidence of physical and sexual abuse with all the children. With the kids saying, hey, mom did most of this physical abuse and father said that if they told anyone about what's going on, they would be buried under the patio like their sister. So the police were like, onto this shit. Right. And at that point, they started this full-scale investigation... And charged the parents with all kinds of abuse and crazy shit. So at that point, they thought it was just a matter of sexual abuse. They didn't, I think, know what was going on with the murder stuff. Right. They just were hearing the rumors about the older sister, Heather. Right. Yeah. So they then got a search warrant. And the Wests were actually acquitted of all the charges. What? <laughs> The case against the West collapsed when Anne-Marie and her 13-year-old half-sister declined to testify at the court case in June 1993. Oh, my God. And they expressed desire to return to their families. They also chose to withdraw any statements they had made because they noted the misery of the younger siblings and the fear of Rose's vindictiveness. So they're like, Mom is going to beat the shit out of us. If we, I mean, not realizing that, hey, we don't ever have to see her again. Right. But they did emphasize that the half-sister and the mother were missing. So there was some speculation going on in the background that, hey, there could be something extra shady going on besides just the sexual shit. Yeah. So although the West were acquitted of all these sexual abuse charges, the younger kids luckily remained in foster care with permitted supervised visitations to the parents, which is fucking scary because I'm pretty, pretty sure Rose and Fred were, like, threatening them the entire way. Or the entire time. And then Fred and Rose, meanwhile, were like, hey, everything that the police have said is a fabricated story. They're just picking on us because we live an alternative lifestyle. Of course. But the police, in the meantime, are, like, checking into Fred's history and checking out the disappearance reports and noting that there were no missing person reports for Rena or Charmaine. And they got a warrant for the house on Cromwell Street to try to locate Heather's remains. When they displayed the warrant to Rose, she turned pale before becoming hysterical and shouting over her shoulder to her oldest son, Get Fred! That's definitely not suspicious. uh, Yeah. At that point, Rose became contradictory in her informal questioning as to the circumstances surrounding Heather's disappearance. 
When reminded of the contradiction, she became distraught and abusive, shouting at the officers, I can't fucking remember. It's a bloody long time ago. What do you think I am, a bloody computer? That I can't remember whether or not we murdered our daughter? Right. One of those things so that just slips Fred your mind. comes home and says, hey, Heather's fine. She was involved in a drugs cartel, and she was into some shady shit, and there's nothing going on here. He's, like, denying everything and said that they were holding a grudge, a grudge against him due to his acquittal of the rape of his daughter. So that night, with the search team having left the premises with an, un, un, or excuse me, an, a uniformed officer remaining at Cromwell Street to guard the excavation site, they notice the parents standing there talking in hushed tones and glancing towards the garden from their kitchen window. So they start excavating, but they don't find anything yet. In the early hours of the morning, uh, the following morning, the son, Stephen, was about to leave for work. Fred informs him, look, son, after mom and I sell the house, I've done something really bad. I want you to go to the papers and make as much money as you can. Oh, my gosh. Shortly thereafter, police return to the Cromwell Street house to search for Heather's body. And at that point, Fred was arrested. And at 11.15 that morning, Fred formally admitted to police he had indeed killed his daughter in an act of manslaughter, he confessed to strangling her in a fit of rage and then dismembering her body on the ground floor bathroom with a heavily serrated knife that he usually used for cutting slabs of frozen meat. He stored her, her remains in a dustbin and waited for the opportunity to dig her grave. So, yeah. The following day, police began excavating the garden at Cromwell Street where Fred indicated he had buried his daughter's body and shortly after 4 p.m., they found a human thigh bone. At that mm. point, they finished excavating and found all of the stuff. Oh, this poor girl. They also saw that her fingernails had been torn oh. from her fingers as a means of torture. Jesus. The body was actually identified with dental records, and Fred then was formally charged with his daughter's murder. They then found three sets of human remains in the garden. And Rose was placed into a safe house as police returned to finish searching the house on Cromwell Street, a safe house. Like, I think at that point they didn't know she Involved. was participating in this shit. Wow. Yeah. And I think Fred initially was like, hey, it was all me. Rose had nothing to do with it. And they say chivalry's dead. Um, upon, right. And upon questioning, further questioning, Fred claim calmly explained there were further five bodies buried in the cellar and a sixth body beneath the ground floor bathroom. Most of these victims, Fred claimed, had been hitchhiking girls that he had murdered in the 70s after picking them up at bus stops. Initially, he claimed six victims had been killed when they had threatened to inform Rose of his infidelity, and then he transported their bodies to his home to abuse, dismember, and bury in shallow graves. Between the 5th and 8th of March, police then found the six bodies he was talking about of the young females on Cromwell Street. Each victim had been extensively mutilated, and each body bore evidence of having been subjected to extreme sexual abuse prior to the act of murder. So this guy was, like, fucking crazy with his sexual abuse, and all of the bodies were missing numerous bones. And Fred refused to divulge the reason as to where, why and where the bones mm. were. Despite Fred's insistence that his wife had no knowledge of any of the murders, investigators suspected otherwise. Rose was then arrested on the 20th of April, 1994, initially on offenses related to the rape of an 11-year-old girl and the physical assault of an 8-year-old boy, both charges dating from the mid-70s. The following day, she was refused bail and transferred to prison to be held in a maximum security wing. She was then questioned more closely about the murders, and she fucking cracked. At that point, Fred and Rose were jointly charged with five counts of murder, with Rose simply replying, I'm innocent, upon hearing the formal charge. So initially, Fred was charged with 11 murders, and Rose was charged with nine when it came to the formal charging. So as he was held in prison the months following his arrest, Fred became increasingly depressed, and this was worse after Rose's public rejection of him and her refusal to reply to letters he sent to her. Reports were leaked to the press where, she, where Rose assumed the role of a grieving mother who had lost a daughter and stepdaughter to her husband in which she declared both her innocence of murder and her hatred of him. So she played that card. Right. He defended her and said, hey, she wasn't involved in anything, and she was like, I'll take that shit if it won't get me prison time. Yeah. And she basically turns against him and completely denies that she had anything to do with it and completely and utterly rejects him, and he gets super depressed. Do you think that she was playing that card, or do you think that once she was finally separated from him, she kind of 
was able to like lost the, cut that the pole cord. was gone. Well, I think she was evil on her own. Yeah, I think she had some criminal tendencies before he got involved with it. But I think she probably did the bol- a little bit of both. Yeah, I think she realized that hey, my butt is bre- my if my bread is buttered in one direction. I'm going to get less time in prison, so I need to like play to the sympathy of the court. Right. But Fred pleaded with his children to visit him and to go to Rose and convey the fact that he loved her. But Rose never acknowledged any of these overtures. In response, Fred withdrew his earlier confessions to having acted alone in the murders and instead was like, she fucking did everything Mm. with me. Mm -hmm. Including the death of Anne McFall, which he claimed had been committed by his first wife. Really? Yes. So... With the initial strict suicide watch having been a little bit relaxed, on January 1st, 1995, Fred West asphyxiated himself. He did it in his cell by wrapping an improvised rope, which he had constructed from a blanket and tags he had stolen from prison laundry bags around his neck and bound this device to a door handle and window catchment. Then he sunk to his knees and basically strangled himself, which is good Mm -hmm. riddance. Bye. Yeah. Um, At the bottom... Which seems like it would be extremely difficult to do, don't you think? He sank to his knees. But it's actually pretty common. Um, I actually read about this when I was looking up the stuff for the Spreckles Mansion case. And it's called, oh. it's, there's actually a name for it. It's called a partial strangulation, is when your feet are not off the ground. So it's actually common enough that there's a name for it. Shit's crazy. Yeah. It seems like it would be super hard. Yeah, it does. But at the bottom... Of the suicide note found in his cell was a drawing of a gravestone, which he had written in loving memory, Fred West, Rose West, rest in peace where no shadow falls. In perfect peace, he waits for Rose, his wife. So he was, like, obsessed with her even at the end. But Rose West still had to go to trial, and she pled not guilty to all of the charges, of course, because she's like, I don't want to go to prison for the rest of my life. Right. Mm-hmm. So Fred was never even convicted. He never went to trial. No. Mm. After seven weeks of evidence, the judge instructed the jury, emphasizing that circumstantial evidence can be sufficient for a finding of guilt, and that if two people take part in a murder, the law considers them both equally guilty, regardless of which one did the actual deed. So then in November, the jury returned a unanimous guilty verdict for all ten murders that Rose was charged with. They termed her crimes appalling and depraved, and the judge sentenced Rose to life in prison without parole. She continues to protest her innocence to this very So she's still alive. Yeah, it sounds like it. Wow. So Fred confessed to murdering 30 people, but there also were indications that 18 other undiscovered victims are still floating around out there. That he had been befriending teenage girls from nearby care homes, sexually abusing them, and then killing them. Is a care home like a transient? Um, I'm guessing. Yeah, it sounds like it, or like a foster home type of a thing. After the 1994 arrest of the parents, the four youngest West children were given new identities to protect them from the notoriety of their family, and each child remained in foster care. Good. Which, good fucking riddance. Fred's body was cremated, and the service was held with only four family members present. Oh, I'm glad four people could go... Say goodbye. dude. Rose appealed her sentence and still maintains her innocence to any and all of the murders. Fred's youngest brother, John hanged himself in the garage of his home because he was just so embarrassed by the whole thing. Following her conviction, both of Rose's oldest children and her stepdaughter, Anne Marie initially visited her in prison on a regular basis. But by 2006, she ceased contact with all of them after may began asking questions about her culpability. So she cut off contact with them. Yes, Rose justified her decision with the explanation, I was never a parent and could never be now. Yeah, no shit. The sole visitor Rose continues to receive in prison is Anna Marie, who later changed her name to Anne Marie. Oh, that's a big switch. Yeah. So evidently some of the children claim to have witnessed the murder of Heather, and they're traumatized. But in 1999, Anne Marie attempted suicide by drowning herself in a river... And the other kids are also known to have attempted suicide on several occasions. But in... Yeah, I'm sure they have very severe lasting psychological effects. Oh, yeah. And in 2004, Stephen West, one of the sons, was jailed for nine months after having unlawful sex with a 14-year-old girl on multiple occasions. So Hmm. 
This is a real kind of a bear of a case. Yeah. Well, I didn't realize... I don't think I realized how recent the arrest of Fred and Rose West was, and I definitely didn't know any of the stuff, the more recent stuff, especially yeah. that she's even still alive. Well, because I didn't um, hear about any of this when I was at that age. I mean, British history and British crime was really not, I think, huge. Actually very, very, very awful. And it just, we didn't get real deep into the victims on this one because there were so many right. of them. And there really isn't a lot of history and evidence and things out there that kind of talk a lot about the victims, which is really sad because they were people just like the rest of us mm-hmm. who had brothers and families and sisters and some of them had children and did not deserve the fate that they received from this psychotic couple. But it just seems as though these two people... Um, lived extremely terrible lives and were just had suffered these histories as children where they were just set up for failure. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, just finding awful. the way these people find each other and influence each other is just, I don't know. I don't, I don't get it. I mean, out of all the people in the world, they connected with each other and created this perfect storm of psychotic criminal frenzy basically. Right. But in any case, we need to wrap it up because this is a really long episode. So this is the part where we say so long, farewell. Please rate, review, and subscribe. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please, please, please send us an email. We love you guys' emails. We want to hear comments if you have corrections for us, which I know we probably slaughtered a few things in here, and there's a lot of pronunciations that may not be the easiest for people that don't um, I've never been to England and don't understand how to pronounce some of the things right. that. But in any case. Yeah, I'm almost certain we slaughtered some of those locations. You can email us at thebfdpodcast at gmail.com. We will put that into the show notes. We will also provide some pictures of some of this stuff because they are truly horrific. Social media, Darcy? We are at the BFD Podcast on both Twitter and Instagram. And like Sarah said, we'll be posting some pictures and, and things like that. So go check us out there. Please join us again next week when we talk more about weird, wacky, and wild stuff. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay safe, keep it real, and always live your best life. Bye. Goodbye.